Welcome back to Incredible. My name is Dan Brogan. Last time, we began our conversation with four powerful educators from pre-kindergarten through the university level across the United States. If you have not listened to that discussion yet, I highly encourage you to start with part one of Crises and the Classroom. I want to provide some academic context to the themes of our previous conversation. One of the themes that emerged from the first half of our conversation is this practice of social-emotional learning. The classroom is much more than an academic place. It is a community where we can come together and grow. We can become better people who are more kind, more compassionate, and we can reflect and mourn together. Education at its best is about holistically looking at each other and seeing the potential for who we can be. Educational philosopher John Dewey once expressed this notion that, quote, education is not preparation for life, education is life itself, end quote. When we practice this idea that life is education, we begin to interact with each other and the world in more meaningful ways. We interact with students differently. Historically, students have been seen as objects of reform. Renowned Brazilian education philosopher Paulo Freire opined that schools have traditionally modeled their relationship with students as banks. This banking model sees students only having the capacity to receive education or to have learning deposited into their heads. Freire and many other critical pedagogists have contended that we need to see students beyond the lens of the learner. We need to interact with them as partners and subjects, as opposed to objects. Student voice researcher Michael Fielding posited that educators should share their power and facilitation with students. This concept, known as radical collegiality, is all about reframing our assumptions of the traditional student. When confronted by a crisis, we see one of the most clear examples of educators valuing the dignity and agency of students as community members and not merely as learners. Now that we have connected some critical pedagogy or teaching theories, we will take a dive into how exactly Monique, Ms. Doe, Zach, and Victoria facilitated their class during an incredibly dark and painful time with the Capitol insurrection. Let's start with Miss Doe and her lesson. So what I really had to focus on in um, the way I presented this material was, yes, I, I was going to say how I felt. I felt that this was a terrifying event for our democracy. That is the extent of my reaction that I shared with them um, because I was able to tie my reaction 
all to the facts about what happened um, without tying in politics in any way, because I work in a district where there are a mixed bag of political views. I have students who come from very conservative families in my classroom and students who come from very liberal families. So I felt it was my job to just teach them the facts, keep politics out of it, and just keep them as informed citizens. That's my job as an educator. One of the major points that I brought up to them was that, you know, in the media, we're going to see those people who stormed the Capitol called one of three things. We're going to hear them called protesters. We're going to hear them called rioters, or we're going to hear them called terrorists. So let's break it down and look at what each of those words means by definition. And once they read the article, we talked about it, um, and they looked up those definitions, they could then come to the conclusion on their own. Well, <laughs> we think these people were terrorists because the actions that we read about, saw in the photographs, and the definition of the word terrorist all adds up. Um, and it was actually a, another really great talking point because then I had a student say, wait, can an, an American be a terrorist in America? And that brought up the whole um, uh, topic of discussion that yes, they can. Um, a terrorist does not need to be someone from outside of America. It can be someone who lives right down the street from you. This is an incredibly transformative experience for students, and I want to take some time to unpack this lesson. With Miss Doe's thought-provoking class, I'm reminded of a quote from Nobel Peace Prize winner and social activist Malala Yousafzai. Quote, With guns, you can kill terrorists. With education, you can kill terrorism. End quote. Education can be about examining our world and language with multiple lenses. These students, based on their experience in geography, had a preconceived notion of what a terrorist can be, who they look like, and where they originate. These preconceived notions can have serious ramifications for how we examine our world, and these concepts have been studied by educational leaders. In fact, educational researcher Andrea Evans developed this theory about sensemaking and the classroom. Sensemaking is about how our worldview is limited to our experiences and geography. Regarding the classroom and sensemaking, Dr. Evans highlighted that limited sensemaking can lead to racist outcomes and policies within school. When Ms. Doe presented that white Americans can be terrorists, it expanded students' sense-making. They are now able to look at their environment through a new lens thanks to the power of education. Some of these students may have held racist, xenophobic, or Islamophobic notions due to their previous understanding of who a terrorist is. 
Let's now hear from Monique and how she worked with a particular student in her preschool class. Instead of providing her with distractions in the moment when she's sad, um, I sit with her and we stand at the door together and I hold her while she's sad and she cries and we talk about how much she loves her family and how how it really sucks to say goodbye to people that you love and that it's okay to be sad about about that. And then once she's feeling more regulated, then we move into our routine. And that's just establishing a secure and safe set of expectations for her so that she knows that even though she's sad, she has something that she can depend on in the classroom happening after. And so that helps her establish that sense of safety that she was not really feeling earlier in the morning. And Yeah, and so that's really like the basis of coping strategies is that it's not something to stop the feelings of the child, but rather to help them feel safe in their feelings and help them have a way to deal with those feelings and still know that they're okay to be feeling that. And Zach shares with us how they set the tone for their university class. I think what I try to do is I try to get students talking about their lives um, at the at the beginning of class, and I feel like that does a good job setting the the tone. I'm a big big proponent of like check-in activities, even though I think you know they can be really like overused, and we can all roll their our eyes at them. I think like the value of doing something like Rose and a thorn, like what's one positive thing from your week? What's one negative thing? I think there's, there's a real value in if you get people talking about their lives, then I think people are more willing to engage with the, the academic topics that we're working with. Whether one is in a preschool or in a university, both educators placed an emphasis on checking in with their students intentionally. They both have normalized expectations of students being cognizant of how they are feeling, and it is a useful strategy to engage students. These educators are also having to balance their own personal views as well as their professional views. We have heard from leaders, particularly within the GOP, refer to public education as propaganda. Former President Trump, in fact, referred to U.S. public education as, quote, extremist indoctrination, end quote, back in the summer of 2020. I think in particular, universities have been accused of these very serious claims. I believe that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Let's hear from Miss Doe, Zach, and Victoria regarding personal and professional perspectives. Yeah, that was really challenging um, because I had very strong feelings about what happened and um, I had to be very careful about what I said, because, you know, as educators, we cannot be sharing our political views in any way. Um, And I think that's what makes this 
crisis more unique than some of the others. It's so politically charged. Students have so much experience um, and so much knowledge and they have their, their own perspectives that it's not necessarily your job to give a student a perspective, but it's a job, but it can be your job to like help students uh, verbalize and, and communicate their own perspectives and to reflect really. Yeah, I, I think as a teacher, um, my job is to really promote reflection. Um, at least that's, that's how I've been approaching it with, with this class. It was definitely challenging since I do go to a school. I do teach at a school in South Carolina, which comes with uh, some challenges in terms of just the overall political climate. I'm really fortunate to have a school administration that supports its teachers. And I have been confronted by a parent upset about something I said in the classroom, even though it was actually a matter of historical fact and not really a partisan issue, which was interesting. And that really did shake me a little bit. So that was in the back of my mind as I was going into the classroom, like how are students going to take what I say home to their parents and how are their parents going to react? But then that kind of anxiety was overcome by the thought I had a few, a few days before the attack on the Capitol. And in my seventh grade class, we're reading the diary of Anna Frank. And we've done a lot of activities or readings related to the Holocaust naturally in relation to that book. And something that really struck me was how accountable do we hold the teachers under the Third Reich? And I'm not saying the United States is the Third Reich, but I think this culture of blind nationalism and devaluing truth and expertise calls for a comparison. And I just vowed to myself to not be like those teachers in the Third Reich and to speak for truth, even if it meant getting backlash. And I have very strong relationships with my students who have different beliefs than me and we talk about them in a respectful way and that is super important to me now that we have heard firsthand from educators across the country and representing pre-K through the university, I want to emphasize that educators respect the perspectives of students. A conservative criticism of public education in the United States is that the institutions shape students into liberals. To back this claim up, in a 2017 Pew Research poll, 58% of Republicans surveyed believe that universities have a negative effect on the country. Part of this negative effect was the perception that liberal arts education propagandized youth. This simply isn't the case, and here's why. So bear with me, as this is a long book title, but in the peer-reviewed research publication, How College Affects Students, 21st Century Evidence That Higher Education Works, 
highlights political changes in a student's educational journey. In a particular passage from Chapter 5, data from the Wabash National Study of Liberal Arts Education provided longitudinal evidence from more than 3,000 first-year students attending 19 institutions that political views were virtually unchanged from the beginning to the end of their first year. Within the same chapter, four-year students concluded that one's political beliefs were not substantially changed. In other words, reality simply does not coincide with what I believe are pretty egregious claims from former President Trump and other Republican leaders. So, let's connect back to Victoria and hear what she learned from her liberal arts education and her military education. Just because you did bring up the point that liberal arts is seen as propaganda for a certain ideology. Uh, my master's degree is from the Citadel, which is a military college in South Carolina. Um, and it's definitely not a bastion of liberalism in the United States. And we still learn the same concepts that we learn at liberal arts schools. So I think, I think it's time to retire that. As we can see, both schools taught concepts and required students to think critically and defend their position without imposing ideological preference. This critical thinking offers a place for students to be both challenged and respected. With this in mind, I want to take some time to understand how these educators value the perspectives of students during a crisis. Additionally, how do teachers work with each other during a crisis? To answer these questions, let's hear from Zach. My supervisor with the Riverways program, he emailed me and all of the other um, course facilitators with resources about starting conversations, what, what can be helpful versus what's not helpful, some of the research. And so I felt very supported and I felt very, very prepared. Or, I mean, I felt, some, I felt prepared to, to go into that, that session and to go into those conversations. And I think that's one thing to, to remember is in education, you know, you have a community of teachers, you have a community of administrators, and it's important to, to communicate and it's important to share best practices and to, to really think intentionally of, you know, how, I don't know how to handle this. How, how are you thinking about handling this? Now, let's hear from Ms. Doe. One of the reasons I love um, working in sixth grade is because they're finally getting to that stage where they're able to form their own opinions about different social issues. So um, it's really wonderful to work with that age group and see them questioning some of the things that they're told. Um, that's all, all we can hope for as educators, right? <laughs> Monique also shares with us the importance of student voice within the classroom. Let's hear. Just honoring students where they're at for me is the basis of how I carry myself in the classroom because 
I don't want to control them. I don't, I cannot control what happens to them at home. I don't want to control them when they're in my classroom. I want them to be free to feel how they're feeling and sort of how it rolls. (laughs) If we're sad, we're going to be sad. Like just being open to meeting our students in their joy and meeting them in their sadness and their fear and loving them through all of it. But I think that it's most important to put students at the forefront of the situation. And in this case with crises, it would be like that experience that I had in the spring with my professor, just opening up the classroom to student-led discussion and student-led action. Instead of making my own conclusions and takeaways from this conversation, I want to instead make space for these amazing educators and have their key takeaways heard for future classrooms. Monique, Zach, Ms. Doe, and Victoria, I cannot thank you enough for your invaluable insight and time. Now, let's hear the key takeaways these wonderful educators have from crises and the classroom. You need to have a very intentional classroom community that you establish on the first day and that you as an educator carry out intentionally every single day that you are in school. You need, basically, every day needs to be an opportunity for social, emotional development and growth. And if you're not doing that every day, then when a crisis comes, you're not going to be able to help your students as fully. You can discuss it and you can bring it up, but if there's not that baseline level of trust and community in your classroom, then it's not going to be as effective as if you were caring for your students day in and day out. I asked Monique what her most important takeaway would be, and this is what she had to say. Most importantly, that they're loved. Um, That is something that I tell my students regularly. um, And it's true. I'm not, I'm not just saying that to them so that they feel stable or so that they feel safe. I truly love each and every one of my students for all of their wonderful craziness. They're just it's impossible not to love them. I, I don't know. Um, so that's the first thing is that they're loved by me, who is a safe person for them, um, a dependable that I'm a dependable person. Um, that their feelings are valid. Um, that they themselves, anything that they, they feel is okay to feel. It's the first thing whenever we encounter a situation with big emotions um we say I hear that you're feeling blank right now you're feeling mad you're feeling sad that's okay let's hear what Miss Doe had to say for her key takeaways I have a few takeaways that I would really (laughs) that I really hope they had um I really hope that they um are more aware of what happened in Washington D.C. I hope that they um, also have 
the confidence to ask questions about what's going on in our world. Um, there are so many questions that need to be had um, and asking the hard ones are necessary. So I think something that's really helpful is that um, each year I teach a social issues um, unit of study um, in reading. And, and I think that by, you know, having those conversations uh, around literature and the novels that we're reading, it becomes easier to then have those conversations in real life. Uh, so I am a firm believer that uh, applying literature is the way to go. <laughs> and here are Zach's key takeaways. One of the teaching moments is like, it's okay to talk about what's going on. It's okay to mention it. Like there are there are ways that are acceptable to do it and there are ways that are not, um, or ways that are, you know, can be appropriate and ways that are not. Yeah. I, th I think just, just being willing to have, to have a conversation and also like knowing that you don't have to be the authority, you know, like you're not you as a teacher, just because you're in a position of power, doesn't mean you know everything or you know more than your students. And I think, um, by giving space to allow for like student voice, I've, I feel like it's, it's just humbling. Like I, I learn I learn a lot. And finally, we have key takeaways from Victoria. Let's listen. Well, first I want them to take away the students. I want them to take away that I care for them. And I think they, I'm pretty sure they know that. I make it pretty clear to them. I would say I have a great relationship with my students. The next thing I would want them to take away from this particular crisis we're experiencing and what we've talked about in the classroom, I want them to know what they're seeing is not normal. This administration took office when they were nine and 10. And I just think you learn so much about the world between when you're nine and when you're 14, which is how old the oldest of them are right now. Some of them will get to vote in the next presidential election. So their understanding of American politics has been fundamentally shaped by these last few years. And I don't want them to think that this is how things have always been. And I'm not going to say things were great because political scientists here, I know systemic issues have been plaguing this country, but how it has risen to the surface, it wasn't always like this. And for myself, I just hope I'm doing enough as a teacher to not be like the teachers under the Third Reich. Some incredibly powerful words from very thoughtful educators. I hope you learned from our conversation. And before we end, I want to take a moment sincerely to thank you as well. I've been genuinely grateful for the support and encouragement I have received on this podcast so far, and this has been a dream I have had for years to start this up. It truly means the world to me that you are taking the time to listen to these conversations, so thank you. If you want to continue the conversation with me, please know you can reach me in a few ways. So, you can find me on Facebook by typing in incredible.podcast. Or, if you uh, prefer email, my email is dan underscore brogan at incredible-podcast.com. 
And once again, I, I know that's kind of a long email, but uh, Dan underscore Brogan at incredible hyphen podcast.com. You can also find me on my website where I post articles and I have a blog there, and that's at incredible hyphen podcast.com. And right now, I'm currently in the process of building up the site more. And like I said, uh, you can find blog posts there, some more episode details. So like whenever I post an episode, I'll, I'll write up like not only a summary, but just uh, adding like links to like some of the resources and like research that I did. And uh, there's also links to social media on there from like where you can find my podcast and also a donation page. If you are currently listening to this podcast and you're really enjoying what has come out so far, I sincerely encourage you to share with people, whether it's like with your coworkers, your friends, or Timmy, uh, it would really mean a lot to me as podcasts become popular through word of mouth. Uh, it's not like a YouTube video where it's, it's based on an algorithm. It's mostly, if not purely, through word of mouth. So the more people share, the more it gets distributed that way. So, if, like I said, if you're really enjoying this, uh, it would mean so much to me uh, to share this with other people that you think might be interested. Um, and, yeah, I just, I want to thank Zach, Monique, Victoria, and Miss Doe one last time for your helpful perspectives during a very difficult time. We all appreciate you and the work that you're doing. This is Dan Brogan. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay incredible.